Good morning, everybody. It's such an honor and a privilege to have you with us again today. For those who don't know me, my name is Peter Botros, and I'm a member of staff here. And it is my absolute joy to welcome you again as we uh, recommence our series titled Take Off. As we started last week, we're going to address and explore together the idea, the person, the ministry, and the impact of God, the Holy Spirit, over the Christian's life. If you're a Christian, you're aware that Christians believe that God is a triunity God. It's almost like a three-dimensional God. He is God the Father, the origin of love. His life is the essence of everything. God the Son is uh, the wisdom or the expressive wisdom of God. And God the Holy Spirit is the power and the life of God. Just like you are a three-dimensional human being, like the Son is three-dimensional with an essence ray and heat, somehow our God is bigger than all of that. And He's three-dimensional in His personality, in the way that He interacts with us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have a relationship with those people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And in the following few weeks, we're going to address the work and the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. And the promise and the premise of this series is simple that Christians can live on a different plane. Christians can live on a whole different... Christians can go beyond the, the ordinary uh, way of living life, the realm of the flesh, the realm of living life just as you are, and begin to live life as in a supernatural, spirit-filled way. We declared it that way last week, is that living by the flesh, that is, means living the way you are, who you are without God, as compared to living by the Spirit, is like walking on a plane as compared to flying by a plane. The reality is this. People live on two different contrasting realms. Those who live like normal, natural human beings, just the way you were born, just the way you grew up, your experiences, your upbringing, and everything else is taken over and shaping the way that you relate in life. Or you can live by the power of a supernatural God that, believe it or not, Christians agree that He comes and has His abiding presence in you. I want to say this, if you're not a Christian, you are probably mesmerized by the idea that people can live a spiritual life and actually enjoy it. But it's not because they're capable. It's not because they have some, uh, uh, you know, uh, elite capacity that you do not have. It's simple as they have a supernatural God that abides on the inside of them and enables them to live life the way that a natural human being can't. It's the difference between walking and flying. If you're, a, if you're living in, a, in your own strength, you can't fly. There is a gravity that will take you down. But if you're on a plane, you can do things that you could only dream of. You can go places that you couldn't possibly walk there. 
You can uh, overcome the gravity law that you can't do in your natural strength. And this is the gift of Christianity, that you can live in a way that is beyond your capacity. You can relate to people beyond your capacity. You can love unconditionally, not because you're good, but because you have an unconditional loving God lives on the inside of you and oozes out of you. The Holy Spirit of God enables Christians to live the supernatural life that Christ brought to the world. Undoubtedly, our experiences, our observations, and our readings of, of, of what hap happens around us determine how we understand the concept of the Holy Spirit. And because there are so many different brands of Christianity, if you're an un unchurched person, you're probably confused. What is this whole thing about the Holy Spirit? In fact, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, many of us, the concept of the Holy Spirit is so convoluted in our minds, and rightly so. Because when we see things in a particular way, we tend to believe that's the norm. That's the reality of anybody that embraces the Holy Spirit. But it's not always true. I recall in the early 2000s, we, uh, uh, our family and our best friend's family, we went to a, a church on the fringes of the western suburbs. We had never been there before. Our friends somehow managed to get the address and we decided with our little kids, we only had Luke, our firstborn at the time, here, probably uh, three, four years of age, and we had our best friends uh, and their two children, uh, two boys, uh, I'm, I'm confident they were uh, younger than seven years of age. And as we approached the church, there seemed to be a very wonderful, warm, kind group of people that greeted us uh, at the doors, and they were very friendly. In fact, they offered and, uh, to usher us to the very front. As, as we were being led up the front, we recognized, gee, they're taking us to the very, very front. That's uh, pretty embarrassing for somebody that's never been to a church, to that church before. So we declined and chose to sit maybe in the third row or so, but we're pretty close to the front. As the service started, the worship was exuberant, and it was absolutely fantastic time to watch how people were engaging in, uh, in the songs and the environment of worship that was uh, evident in that church. After a little while, a uh, long while, I would say, uh, people were invited to come up the front to receive prayers, and there there were different uh, pastors and leaders that were praying over people. And in our area, we were, I think, on the right-hand side, your left-hand side of that church, and uh, we, we noticed a particular man, uh, potentially the pastor, or I don't know, uh, who used to pray over people, and as he prayed over them, some of them fell on the ground. Some of them fell on the ground 30 seconds in the midst of his prayers, and it was like, my goodness, the guy would turn around as soon as they fell on the ground. He would give somebody else a high five, something that you'd be accustomed to at a sporting event, not if you're a Carlton supporter, not a lot of high fives going on there. Uh, sorry to bring that up, Marek, if you're here. Um, but uh, he would actually cease praying. 
He would give a high five, he'll fall to the, the and he would leave the people who fell to the ground and go to, his, to somebody else that he'll pray for. And, and, and it was just, it, beca- it became a little bit uh, confusing for all of us, even the kids who were just like gobsmacked, just looking everywhere. And there, uh, one of our little friend's sons, I think he was five years of age or so, uh, with audible voice for everybody else around us to hear, he looked up to his dad like that. I was right next to him and he says dad dad why is this lady pretending to be dead (laughs) we really wanted to run out of there as quick as we could I am confident that these people were God honoring I am confident that they had every right intention to see the Holy Spirit active and moving in their environment I am confident that they had all the right motivation to do what they were doing. However, from the outside looking in, it looked weird, and it looked scary, and it looked suspicious. And I don't know about your own personal experiences with manifestation of the Spirit, but sometimes looking from the outside in, you can come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit's ministry is all about the showman. And it's about the power and the manifestation of His glory. And it's about the incredible testament of people who engage with something so supernatural that they can't cope with the presence of God. And that is true. But that is insufficient understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just for some of us to believe that the Holy Spirit's primary motivation and ministry is to create an environment that is sensationalist, an environment that is, uh, uh, that is overwhelmed with heightened emotions, you could have camera light action and people will feel exactly the same emotional triggers. You don't need the Holy Spirit these days to create an emotional environment and to play the crowds. You can have worship for an hour and everybody's feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't always mean the Spirit is present. If only we're looking at a manifestation of something sensational and emotional and all of that, and I'm not saying that's not true, I've experienced it myself, but if that's all we limit the Holy Spirit to, we are mistaken. We do not have a solid biblical view of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is God. He is not limited to some emotional, suspicious, superficial experiences. He's bigger than that. And the truth that I want to share with you today, friends, is that you desperately need the presence and the person and the power and the interrelationship that you have with the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you have shut down, quit on, let go of the idea of the Holy Spirit because you've watched some people do some weird things or because you've seen some Christians pretend to have something that you felt was incredibly suspicious or egotistical or fake or whatever it might have been. I am inviting you back. Log in with me for the next few weeks because I want to tell you that the Spirit of God is what you desperately need in your life to lead 
a genuinely spiritual walk. And if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you, you need the Spirit of God to live the life that you've always wanted, the life that people around you would love to see you have. They want to see you wise and selfless and kind and genuine. They want to see you authentic when you make mistakes. They want to see you powerful in the face of life's trials and temptations. They want to see the best of you. And you can't be that without the Spirit of God, no matter what your education may be, no matter what people think about you, no matter your network, no matter what what you're able to achieve in life. Friends, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're just you. And you owe it to yourself to be more than just you. Because deep inside, when you look in the mirror, you know there is more. And truly there is. And as I plan to speak to you today about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there is a thousand ways we can try to remember what He does. I'm just, forgive me, I'm going to summarize it because I know you're never going to remember everything. But I'm going to summarize it in three categories. And there they are on your screen. The Holy Spirit convicts. That means the Holy Spirit allows us to see a new reality that you on your own can't see. The Holy Spirit creates. He gives you a brand new nature that is able to do what you can do. He puts you on a plane that you can do things you can't ever do. And He counsels. He brings you a new strength that you and I so desperately need. So let me go first with the fact that the Holy Spirit convicts. Look at what the Lord Jesus Christ said of him in a discourse before his death in John chapter 14 all the way to John chapter 16, which is just before his final uh, high priestly prayer. It's almost like when you see somebody about to die and they share with you their final you know, words of wisdom, you treasure them. And that's why Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in such profound ways before he left planet Earth. And that's what he said. He says, unless I get away, that means he departs planet Earth. The advocate, which is another word, counselor or helper uh, or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, that means if I die and rise again and ascend into the heaven, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And when He comes, as we said last week, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. He's a being. He's not a male or a female. He's a divine being. He will prove to the world, prove the world to be wrong or be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the word converts. Prove the... uh, uh, the, uh, Prove the world to be wrong or in the wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. Why? The Lord Jesus said that the world will know they are wrong about sin because people do not believe me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world, that means the ruler 
of this world, the enemy of God, now stands condemned. Let's go through those quick things at once. Number one, sin. Have you noticed when Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict people of sin, he said not sins. The Holy Spirit is not going to come to you and say, you lied, you, you're corrupted in, in, in your tax returns, you, you, you swore at the person next to you. He doesn't say manifestations of sins. He's not going to convict you necessarily about the symptoms of the problem. He's going to go to the root cause of why you are separated from God. Sin is simply separation from God. That's what sin is. It's a relational term. It's not merely falling short of a benchmark. It's being separated from life, which is God. That's what basically sin is. The wages of sin is death. It separates you from God. And that only happens or, or, or only gets uh, restored uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be a totally corrupt person. Your past could be so dark and so filthy. And in one moment, you come to the person of Jesus Christ and you are forgiven and your sins are washed away and you're empowered by the blood of Jesus to live a brand new life. You do not have to walk into God's jump hoops to get into God's good books. You can have a relationship with God by merely accepting the death the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and you can be a safe person. Sin, he tells us that the Holy Spirit will come and prove to you that you were wrong about the idea of sin. You know, people say, what's wrong with me? I do like what everybody does, and we're not interested in the behavior as such, because Christ wants to come and by His power wants to change your relational interaction with God Almighty who deeply loves you. He cares about you. He doesn't want to make your life miserable. He wants your life worth living. He wants to give you a life worth living. The second thing He says that He will convict people about righteousness. What does it mean that He will convict people about righteousness? Righteousness, basically your right standing with God. Is the right way you have a relationship with God. Is that when God looks at you, say, you're in the right, you are okay with me. Righteousness in this case, He says, because they're not going to see me again. What does that mean, that because they're not going to see me again? Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, we hear about the sacrificial system. They used to have two goats. The first goat was selected by Lot and it became a sin offering. That means it basically was slaughtered as a result of the consequences that the sinner deserved. Because the, 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 the penalty of sin is death, here is a goat that was being slaughtered on behalf of the sinner. But that wasn't it. There was also another goat uh, that the priest of the Old Testament would lay hands on that goat and they would send it into the wilderness so that it can't be seen. And the truth is this, that goat was known as Azazel. Try to say that three times. Azazel. That is a pretty incredible thing to think about. The word Azazel is basically means a scapegoat or it means the remover. Or it means he gets removed. And the idea is the same. Is that one 
of the goats dies for the sinner's actions. The other goat takes those actions and is removed away so that those sins are never seen again. It's God removing the sin from the sinner. God is removing the penalty and the remembrance of that sin from the sinner so that he is or she is guilt-free. And Jesus was both the sin offering and the Azazel, the one who was removed. He was ascended into the heaven not to be seen in that form again. He took your sin, he took my sin, and he removed it. He said, no longer will your sin be remembered anymore. You are free in the presence of God to come and experience boldly the favor of God Almighty over your heart. And the Spirit comes and says, you are not going to be right with God because you do too many good things. God is not going to weigh your bad and your good and say, you're right now. God is going to make you right with himself because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And finally there, he says that he'll convict of judgment because the prince or the ruler of this world is already condemned, defeated. Friends, you don't have to believe on your own intellectual reasoning that there is consequences to following the enemy of God and sin. Sin and the enemy has already been declared condemned so that you know the results and the consequences of living away from God is always judgment. It says it's, it's being given to men to live or, or people to live once and after that there is judgment. And the Spirit of God is the only one that can come into your life and say, listen, that way of living has consequences and I don't want that for you. Just being away from Jesus may give you a good life, but there is a bad ending. And you'd rather have a good life and a good ending than a bad life and a bad ending. Because I want to tell you, sin doesn't make you happy now and it won't make you happy later. Separation from God doesn't make you happy now, doesn't make you happy later. How many people have you and I have met? In fact, I have just met a couple of people over the past few weeks who have sin has ravished their life with mess. A guy who's been addicted for, since he was 24 years of age, he's now 40-something and he's struggling. And he's saying, I wish, I wish, I wish I could rewind the tape and not go where I went before. Sin blinds you and binds you and grinds you. And the Holy Spirit of God comes and says, I don't want that for you. I want to convict you so you don't live life that will end up a disaster for you eventually. I have a better plan for that. So when we agree with the Holy Spirit that there might be a better plan, and we say, how can we live that life? How can I live a life supernaturally with God? He says, well, I've got the solution. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, He creates a new nature in you. Look at this. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received did not make you slaves so that you, you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. That means you have gone through a system where you've been adopted by Almighty God. You've been adopted by a royal king. You've been adopted by the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You are now part, like Steve said, part of God's family. And you have been made a child of God by the power of the Spirit. It says, and by Him. By the Spirit of God, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And under the idea of God recreating you, under the idea that God gives you a new nature, under the idea of God deposits His DNA inside of you, I want to give you three quick things to remember. First of all, He creates a brand new divine nature on the inside of you. In the, in the story of Jesus with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, he said to him that those people who enter the kingdom of God are born by the Spirit of God or born from above. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you when you receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And you can do that with a simple act of your will. By saying, come, Holy Spirit, and recreate within me a brand new nature that connects with God. Because when you have a brand new nature, you have intimacy with God. You know when the Holy Spirit says, by Him we cry, Abba, Father, that all of a sudden you're able to have this intimacy with God. It doesn't become all about obligation. You know, your biggest thing in life when you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you is not what you do, is not what you achieve, is not your approval, is not what people think of you. It will become an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. That you begin to call Him Papa or dear daddy. That's what's available for you. That's what's available for me. When we have a brand new nature, that's the only nature that will seek intimate relationship with God. And that new nature desires God's things. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, it tells us that like newborn babes, now that you've been recreated in the Holy Spirit, like brand new babes, desire the Word of God. You begin to desire new things, and you begin to avoid old things. You begin to, uh, to, to hunger for the things of God, and you begin to abhor the things of the enemy. It's not something that you manufacture. It's something that happens on the inside, like an appetite that happens in your personal, just you type of nature, natural nature. You will also have appetites for the person that's on side of you that is recreated in God, that seeks and closed by righteousness. You see, in, inside of you there is like two dogs. There is the old nature and there is the new nature. The dog that you feed the most, the dog that will take over in your life. The Holy Spirit creates. The third thing I want to share, the third and last thing, is that the Holy Spirit counsels. Look at what uh, Jesus says in John chapter 16. And verse, uh, and uh, sorry, John 15, verse 26, it says this, But when the counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even a spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will be witness to me. And here is the same word that we spoke about last week. Is the concept of a comforter. Is the concept of a helper. It comes from two words that means one is called alongside to help. 
that God sent Jesus to uh, God sent the Holy Spirit to help you just like Jesus was in the world helping his disciples now you in the new age that was prophesied about in the Old Testament you know that the Holy Spirit and in this environment that we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us that was so desired and promised in the Old Testament in the book of Joel and again in the book of Ezekiel prophets of the Old Testament they said in the last days the Lord will pour out his spirit on his people because Jesus's death and resurrection that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came to abide the Holy Spirit used to live and be active in the world from creation really you know before creation because he's an eternal God but he is now intimately abiding in the believers only as a result of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ how awesome is that and he's not sitting there idle he's not sitting there counting your faults he's not sitting there and say I pick you up again he's not a nagging person he's there available coming alongside you and I to help us but when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth he will not speak of his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come Again, just quick three points I want to share with you. I think it's the one after he, uh, he counsels, yeah. First of all, the Spirit of God reveals the things of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he reveals to you deep things that you can't get in the natural. It says that the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God and He makes that known to us. And He says that the natural man cannot understand what the Spirit is saying. You need the Spirit of God to reveal to you, reveal to you the things of God. Sometimes we're, we're confused about things. The Spirit of God wants to reveal truth to you. The Spirit of God wants to illuminate for you the Scripture. The Spirit of God wants to speak to you tenderly about things that you need to do and command ideas that will bring the best for you. He wants to interact with you and reveal things that are not naturally possible to be understood. Secondly, He doesn't just reveal truth, He guides you into all truth. That means He's like a coach and says, listen, I know you need to do that, but I will actually help you to do it. That's how you do it. He's coaching you the ability to do it. But what about when we fail? Well, he says he strengthens us. The Spirit of God never, ever gives up on you. Let's have the worship team. The last, uh, the last slide that I want to share with you is from Romans chapter 8. And if you're interested, I would advise you to read the book of Romans chapter 8 is the most profound understanding and exposition of what it means to live in the Spirit. I'd love you to read that this week if you will. And I just picked one idea that has been so dear to my heart. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Can you affiliate with that? Has there been a time when you say, God, I honestly don't even know what to say to you. I stuffed up again. I made that mistake again. I made the wrong decision again. I stuffed up again. 
I just don't have anything to say. I am so weak and weary. And the Spirit of God says, I'm going to pray on your behalf. I'm your lawyer. I'm the one that comes alongside like a defense lawyer. I'm going to speak on your behalf. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Imagine if, if a child, you know, in trouble at school and, so, and, and by a principal or something, and then the brother of the principals comes in the room and says, look, I understand what's going on here. I'll talk to you about it later. And all of a sudden, the kid is like, wow, I'm scot-free. Somebody understands what's going on. Somebody's speaking on my behalf. Somebody's standing for me. Somebody's got my back. That's what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. And He's saying that, and He who searches our hearts. So He knows the mess that you and I are in. Knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You're weak. He's there to strengthen you. You're lost. He wants to embrace you and bring you back. You're confused. He wants to give you clarity. You've got problems in the family and you don't know what even to pray. He can pray on your behalf. You're failing over and over with a particular habit, a destructive habit, addiction, whatever it might be, and you have no way out. He comes along to strengthen you. Not comfort you in the idea that, you know, pat you on the back. He's able to get you out. What do you need the Holy Spirit to be for you today? He abides on the inside of every God-loving Jesus follower. But He doesn't want to be sleeping in the back. He wants to be active in your life. And here's one simple call away. Have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul asked. Do you have a relationship with the Spirit of God, God Almighty? Well, for some of us, we haven't yet. And I invite you today as the team sings those last two songs, that you would invite the Spirit of God to come into your life. He's like a dove. He's simple. He's kind. He's tender. He's devoted. But maybe for some of us, we have received Christ. But we shoved the Holy Spirit of God in the back. Because we can do it all. In fact, churches can do it all too. We've got techniques and tactics and light camera action and strategies. We can do it all. We're not yearning for the power and the presence and the person of God Almighty because we have become our own gods. And God is calling out to His people today, come to me, you who are weary. I'll give you rest, I'll give you strength, I'll give you all that you need. You can call out to Him today. That's my prayer for you.